0: chapter 2 of don o'hara the girl who laughed this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by leanne howlett don o'hara the girl who laughed by edna ferber chapter 2 mostly eggs Oh, but it was clean and sweet and wonderfully still that rose and white room at nora's no street-cars to tear at one's nerves with grinding brakes and clanging bells no tramping of restless feet on the concrete all through the long noisy hours no shrieking midnight joy riders not one of the hundred sounds which make night hideous in the city what bliss to lie there hour after hour in a delicious half-waking half-sleeping wholly exquisite stupor only rousing myself to swallow eggnog number 426 and then to flop back again on the big cool pillow. New York, with its lights, its clangor, its millions, was only a far-away jumbled nightmare. The office, with its clacking typewriters, its insistent nerve racking telephone bells, its systematic rush, its smoke-dim city room, was but an ugly part of the dream. Back to that inferno of haste and scramble and clatter? Never. Never, I resolved drowsily, and dropped off to sleep again. And the sheets! Oh, those sheets of Nora's! Why, they were white instead of gray! And they actually smelled of flowers. For that matter, there were rosebuds on the silken coverlet. It took me a week to get chummy with that rosebud and down quilt. I had to explain carefully to Nora that after a half-dozen years of sleeping under doubtful boarding-house blankets— One does not so soon get rid of a shuddering disgust for coverings which are haunted by the ghosts of a hundred unknown sleepers. Those years had taught me to draw up the sheet with scrupulous care, to turn it down and smooth it over, so that no contaminating and woolly blanket should touch my skin. The habit stuck even after Nora had tucked me in between her fragrant sheets. Automatically my hands groped about, arranging the old protecting barrier." "'What's the matter, Fuss-Fuss?' inquired Nora, looking on. "'That down quilt won't bite you. What an old maid you are!' "'Don't like blankets next to my face,' I elucidated sleepily. "'Never can tell who slept under em last.' "'You cat!' exclaimed Nora, making a little rush at me. "'If you weren't supposed to be ill, I'd shake you. "'Comparing my darling rosebud quilt to your miserable gray blankets. "'Just for that I'll make you eat an extra pair of eggs.' There never was a sister like Nora. But then who ever heard of a brother-in-law like Max? No woman, not even a frazzled-out newspaper woman, could receive the love and care that they gave me, and fail to flourish under it. They had been dad and mother to me since the day when Nora had tucked me under her arm and carried me away from New York. Sis was an angel, a comforting twentieth-century angel, with white apron strings for wings, and a tempting tray in her hands in place of the hymn-books and palm-leaves that the picture-book angels carry. She coaxed the inevitable eggs and beef into more tempting forms than Mrs. Rohrer ever guessed at. She could disguise those two plain, nourishing articles of diet so effectually that neither hen nor cow would have suspected either of having once been part of her anatomy. Once I ate halfway through a melting, fluffy, peach-bedecked plate of something before I discovered that it was only another egg in disguise— "'Feel like eating a great big dinner today, kidlet?' "'Nora would ask in the morning as she stood at my bedside "'with a glass of egg-something in her hand, of course. "'Eat?' "'Horror and disgust shuddering through my voice. "'Eat! Ooh, "'Don't speak of it to me. "'And for pity's sake, tell Frida to shut the kitchen door "'when you go down, will you? "'I can smell something like, ugh, like pot roast with gravy.' "'And I would turn my face to the wall.' Three hours later I would hear Sis coming softly up the stairs, accompanied by a tinkling of china and glass. I would face her all protest. "'Didn't I tell you, sis, that I couldn't eat a mouthful? Not a mouthful Mmm, how perfectly scrumptious that looks! What's that affair in the lettuce-leaf?' "'Oh, can't I begin on that divine-looking pinky stuff in the tall glass? Hm, mm, oh, please!' "'I thought Nora would begin, and then she would snicker softly—' oh well that was hours ago i would explain loftily perhaps i could manage a bite or two now whereupon i would demolish everything except the china and doilies it was at this point on the road to recovery just halfway between illness and health that nora and max brought the great and unsmiling von gerhard on the scene it appeared that even new york was respectfully aware of von gerhard the nerve specialist in spite of the fact that he lived in milwaukee The idea of bringing him up to look at me occurred to Max quite suddenly. I think it was on the evening that I burst into tears when Max entered the room wearing a squeaky shoe. The weeping walrus was a self-contained and tranquil creature compared to me at that time. The sight of a fly on the wall was enough to make me burst into a passion of sobs. I know the boy to steady those shaky nerves of yours, Don, said Max after I had made a shame-faced apology for my hysterical weeping. "'I'm going to have von Gerhard up here to look at you. He can run up Sunday, eh, Nora?' "'Who's von Gerhard?' I inquired, out of the depths of my ignorance. "'Anyway, I won't have him. I'll bet he wears a Van Dyke and spectacles.' "'Von Gerhard!' exclaimed Nora indignantly. "'You ought to be thankful to have him look at you, even if he wears goggles and a flowing beard.' "'Why, even that red-haired New York doctor of yours cringed and looked impressed "'when I told him that Von Gerhard was a friend of my husband's "'and that they had been comrades at Heidelberg. "'I must have mentioned him dozens of times in my letters.' "'Never.' "'Queer,' commented Max. "'He runs up here every now and then to spend a quiet Sunday with Nora and me in the Spalpeens. "'Says it rests him. "'The kids swarm all over him and tear him limb from limb. "'It doesn't look restful, but he says it's great.' I think he came here from Berlin just after you left for New York, Don. he fits him as if it had been made for him. But you're not going to drag this wonderful being up here just for me, I protested, aghast. Max pointed an accusing finger at me from the doorway. Aren't you what the bromides call a bundle of nerves? And isn't von Gerhard's specialty untying just those knots? I'll write to him tonight. And he did, and von Gerhard came— The Spalpeens watched for him, their noses flattened against the window-pane, for it was raining. As he came up the path they burst out of the door to meet him. From my bedroom window I saw him come prancing up the walk like a boy, with the two children clinging to his coat-tails, all three quite unmindful of the rain and yelling like Comanches. Ten minutes later he had donned his professional dignity, entered my room, and beheld me in all my limp and pea-green beauty, I noted approvingly that he had to stoop a bit as he entered the low doorway, and that the Van Dyke of my prophecy was missing. He took my hand in his own steady, reassuring clasp. Then he began to talk. Half an hour sped away while we discussed New York. Books, music, theaters, everything and anything but Don O'Hara. I learned later that as we chatted he was getting his story, bit by bit, from every twitch of the eyelids, from every gesture of the hands that had grown too thin to wear the hateful ring— from every motion of the lips, from the color of my nails, from each convulsive muscle, from every shadow and wrinkle and curve and line of my face. Suddenly he asked, "'Are you making the proper effort to get well? You try to conquer those jumping nerfs, yes?' I glared at him. "'Try. I do everything. I'd eat woolly worms if I thought they might benefit me. If ever a girl has minded her big sister and her doctor, that girl is I.' I've eaten everything from pate de foie gras to raw beef, and I've drunk everything from blood to champagne. Eggs, queried von Gerhard, as though making a happy suggestion. Eggs, I snorted. Eggs, thousands of them. Eggs hard and soft-boiled, poached and fried, scrambled and shirred, eggs and beer and eggnogs, egg lemonades and egg orangeades, eggs and wine and eggs and milk and eggs en naturel, I've lapped up iron and wine and whole rivers of milk, and I've devoured rare porterhouse and roast beef day after day for weeks. So, eggs. Mein Himmel, ejaculated he, fervently, and you still live. A suspicion of a smile dawned in his eyes. I wonder if he ever laughed. I would experiment. Don't breathe it to a soul, I whispered tragically, but eggs and eggs alone are turning my love for my sister into bitterest hate. She stalks me the whole day long, forcing egg mixtures down my unwilling throat. She bullies me. I daren't put out my hand suddenly without knocking over liquid refreshment to some form, but certainly with an egg lurking in its depths. I am so expert that I can tell an egg orangeade from an egg-lemonade at a distance of twenty yards, with my left hand tied behind me and one eye shut, and my feet in a sack. "'You can laugh, eh?' "'Well, that is good,' commented the grave and unsmiling one." "'Sure,' answered I, made more flippant by his solemnity. "'Surely I can laugh. "'For what else was my father Irish? "'Dad used to say that a sense of humor was like a shillelagh, "'an illigent thing to have around handy, "'especially when the joke's on you. "'The ghost of a twinkle appeared again "'in the corners of the German blue eyes. "'Some fiend of rudeness seized me. "'Laugh,' I commanded. "'Dr. Ernst von Gerhard stiffened. "'Pardon?' inquired he, as one who is sure that he had misunderstood. "'Laugh!' I snapped again. "'I'll dare you to do it. I'll double-dare you. You dasn't. But he did. After a moment's bewildered surprise, he threw back his handsome, blonde head and gave vent to a great, deep, infectious roar of mirth that brought the Spalpeens tumbling up the stairs in defiance of their mother's strict instructions. After that we got along beautifully. He turned out to be quite human beneath the outer crust of reserve. He continued his examination only after bribing the Spalpines shamefully, so that even their rapacious demands were satisfied, and they trotted off contentedly. There followed a process which reduced me to a giggling heap, but which von Gerhard carried out ceremoniously. It consisted of certain raps at my knees, and shins, and elbows, and fingers, and certain commands to, "'Look at my finger, look at the wall, look at my finger, look at the wall,' So, said von Gerhard at last in a tone of finality, I sank my battered frame into the nearest chair. This, this newspaper work, it must cease. He dismissed it with a wave of the hand. Certainly, I said with elaborate sarcasm. How should you advise me to earn my living in the future? In the stories they paint dinner cards, don't they, or bake angel cakes? Are you then never serious? asked von Gerhard in disapproval. Never, said I. An old, worn-out, worked-out newspaper reporter with a husband in the madhouse can't afford to be serious for a minute, because if she were, she'd go mad, too, with the hopelessness of it all. And I buried my face in my hands. The room was very still for a moment. Then the great von Gerhard came over and took my hands gently from my face. I I do beg your pardon, he said. He looked strangely boyish and uncomfortable as he said it. I was thinking only of your good. We do that sometimes, forgetting that circumstances may make our wishes impossible of execution. So, you will forgive me? Forgive you? Yes, indeed, I assured him, and we shook hands, gravely. But that doesn't help matters much after all, does it? Yes, it helps. For now we understand one another, is it not so? You say you can only write for a living. Then why not write here at home? surely these years of newspaper work have given you a great knowledge of human nature then too there is your gift of humour surely that is a combination which should make your work acceptable to the magazines never in my life have i seen so many magazines as here in the united states but hundreds thousands me i exploded a real writer lady no more interviews with actresses no more slushy sunday specials no more teary tales oh my when may i begin to-morrow you know i brought my typewriter with me i've almost forgotten where the letters are on the keyboard wait wait not so fast in a month or two perhaps but first must come other things outdoor things also housework housework i echoed feebly naturally a little dusting a little scrubbing a little sweeping a little cooking the finest kind of indoor exercise later you may write a little but very little run and play out of doors with the children When I see you again, you will have roses in your cheeks like the German girls, yes? Yes, I echoed meekly. I wonder how Frida will like my elephantine efforts at assisting with the housework. If she gives notice, Nora will be lost to you. But Frida did not give notice. After I had helped her clean the kitchen and the pantry, I noticed an expression of deepest pity overspreading her lumpy features. The expression became almost one of agony as she watched me roll out some noodles for soup, and delve into the sticky mysteries of a new kind of cake. Max says that for a poor working girl who hasn't had time to cultivate the domestic graces, my cakes are a distinct triumph. Sis sniffs at that and mutters something about cups of raisins and nuts and citron, hiding a multitude of batter sins. She never allows the Spalpeens to eat my cakes, and on my baking days they are usually sent from the table howling. Nora declares severely that she is going to hide the green cookbook. The Green Cookbook is a German one. Nora bought it in deference to Max's love of German cookery. It is called Aunt Jolten's Cookbook, and the author, between hints as to flour and butter, gets delightfully chummy with her pupil. Her cakes are proud rich cakes. She orders grandly. Now throw in the yolks of twelve eggs, one-fourth of a pound of almonds, two pounds of raisins, a pound of citron, a pound of orange peel. As if that were not enough, there follow minor instructions as to trifles like ounces of walnut meats, pounds of confectioner's sugar, and pints of very rich cream. When cold, to be frosted with an icing made up of more eggs, more nuts, more cream, more everything. The children have appointed themselves official lickers and scrapers of the spoons and icing pans, also official guides on their aunties' walks. They regard their Aunt Don as a quite ridiculous but altogether delightful old thing. And Nora, bless her looks up when I come in from a romp with the Spalpeens, and says, "'Your cheeks are pink, actually, and you're losing a puff there at the back of your ear, and your hat's on crooked. Oh, you are beginning to look your old self, Don, dear.' At which doubtful compliment I retort recklessly, "Pooh, What's a puff, more or less, and a worthy cause? And if you think my cheeks are pink now, just wait until your mighty Von Gerhard comes again.' By that time they shall be so red and bursting that Frida's on wash day will look anemic by comparison. Say, Nora, how red are German red cheeks, anyway? End of chapter 2